Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org. This program is being pre-recorded for Christagenia Saturdays and will be broadcast at Christagenia on May 14, 2016. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Today is Sunday, May 8th, and we will have a conversation with Donald Fox, who has been researching the events of 9-11, among other things, for several years now. The events of 9-11 have done more than any other event in modern history to wake people up to Jewish treachery, or at least to the idea that something is significantly wrong with society. But Jewish treachery is nothing new. It is a problem that whites have been struggling with for 7,000 years. Most whites cannot see it because they have never studied history at a level detailed enough to learn the patterns. The bottom line is this. Whites will never learn anything and whites will never come to terms with learning until the Jew is fully eliminated from partaking in the discussion. Once a devil is allowed to enter the discourse, the well is poisoned and people are going to be steered away from the truth. I was in prison when 9-11 happened. I had already been studying Christian identity and the related subject of Jewish treachery for nearly five years. I never accepted the mainstream paradigm and the causes of 9-11 that were heard on the radio or television. But I really did not know what to think because access to information is extremely limited in that environment. I did know that the presumed impacts and explosions in the upper floors of those buildings should never have caused both towers to collapse the way they did. And when Building 7 came down hours later, it was clear that the event was orchestrated. I also remember that a flood of pseudo-patriotic music hit the country western music stations in no time at all, and realized that the entire episode must have been manufactured in advance to hastily program another generation of American youth so that they would fight another Jewish war. When I got out of prison seven years later, eventually I got around to investigating and sometimes discussing the events of 9-11, and I found a lot of people that I thought were gatekeepers, because they bickered endlessly about the methods used on 9-11, but never really spoke the truth or spoke at all about the actual perpetrators. At the most, they would sometimes use vague terms in reference to evil forces inside the government intelligence apparatus, or something similar, like Alex Jones's Nazi conspiracy. So the best thing I found was Mike Delaney's movie, 9-11 Missing Links, which borrowed in part, I believe, from the work of Christopher Polin and others, and which is an excellent composite documentary, which concentrates on the culpability of the criminals and does not argue endlessly or even present any particular thesis of how the act was done. 
there should be no doubt that a gang of international and Israeli Jews were fully responsible for 9-11, and they coordinated many Jewish-controlled assets in order to pull it off. If there were no planes, for my part, I never cared, because I would rather speak to common people about 9-11 on their own terms and try to convince them as to who the real criminals are. If there were secret weapons or nuclear explosives, for that same reason, I really never cared. Furthermore, since I personally never saw most of the original footage or the initial photographs, I do not even know if the footage and photographs available now are real or if they were doctored. So I am handicapped in that regard. I eschewed the television and print media the entire time I was in prison. Except for the Wall Street Journal early on because I had read it before I went and liked to read the propaganda in that. The Orthodox Jews dancing in the streets of West New York and the five Israelis arrested on Route 3 with the van full of explosives are much better indicators of the truth of the matter. So I have always tried to avoid arguing about the methods, especially because people are going to believe what they already saw a hundred times on television, and then to talk about them, to talk to them about what they may not have seen on television, like those dancing Israelis and those that van full of Jews coming off the New Jersey Turnpike, things which can be documented. However, the biggest problem is this. When you see people on the internet and in alternative media explaining how 9-11 was done, and you see Jews right there next to them, and they are using Jewish sources and so-called Jewish experts, then you know that you see gatekeepers. This, for me, has been the biggest obstacle to considering any alternate theories of the World Trade Center's destruction. Jews create rabbit holes. That is what they do. They do it purposely. They sow confusion a million different ways and cloud up all the issues. They do it to identity Christians all the time. Every time something happens, an army of Jews in the alternative media come up with 10,000 harebrained schemes and a ton of so-called evidence overnight. And the people who have rejected mainstream media most often get pulled into one of the Jewish rabbit holes. This is the same way that the Jews subverted medieval Europe, because a large enough portion of the people have always been willing to listen to these devils. So, it is my opinion that Judy Wood, Henry Macau, who isn't a 9-11 quote-unquote researcher, but who does an awful lot of writing on the subject, and even Alan Sobrowski, even if we like what he hears, all of these must be eliminated from the discourse by whites. Because if they do nothing else, they nevertheless serve to convince whites that there are good or honest Jews, and thereby allow Jews to continue controlling the dialogue, because Jews seem to have endless resources and endless contacts for media production. 
But as long as the wolves control the dialogue, the slaughter of the sheep will never cease. It is not that whites cannot make mistakes. 9-11 analysis has seemed to turn a lot of supposed experts into idiots, unless they are getting paid to be idiots, and Dr. Thomas Eager, I think of MIT, is an example. But Jews and those influenced by Jews can never be trusted. You cannot fully heal a body from the effects of parasites until the parasites are eliminated. So for my part, I prefer to focus on the parasites, and we can clean up the mess once they are eliminated. But this is a long and slow process. Whites make mistakes, or get paid to make mistakes, and sometimes Jews do things which are useful, and we are stuck with the chore of filtering out the bad and examining what is left, which may be worthwhile. Now I have met Donald Fox, who has been researching the events of 9-11 for himself for several years, and who has also awoke to Jewish treachery through that research. Along the way, that has exposed him to many other elements of the Jewish war on whites. Don has conclusions about 9-11 that he developed from his own research, and that also will be interesting to hear. While some of his sources cite Judy Wood or others whom we may not trust entirely, if at all, we may perceive that Don has already done a lot of the necessary filtering, and we will be glad to hear him out. Don has done internet radio on crasfiles.com and other venues. We will supply links with this podcast. And he has a blog at WordPress, which we will link also, where the tagline is exposing the nuclear truth of 9-11 and other things I find interesting, and where he has been writing on 9-11 and other topics for at least five years. Hello, Don. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's uh, good to be here, uh, Bill. Um, I've been a big fan of yours, um, starting about last fall uh, with your uh, Protocols of Satan series. I, I caught that over on uh, the Daily Stormer, and I, I started listening to your stuff. And I'm like, wow, he's, he's got the Jews down, because um, it was around that time I was uh, – doing a lot of research into the uh, protocols of the learned elders of Zion and that's kind of where I, I met I came across uh, your stuff well I appreciate that it, it's um, Daily Stormer won't post a whole lot of my podcasts but he does do some of the um, historical things we did he, he does post those Sure. Yeah, and uh, as you said in the introduction there, yeah, I'm probably known most for uh, my 9/11 stuff, and I do the JFK show uh, as my work schedule permits. Uh, I've been working nights lately, so I haven't been able to do it. But uh, you know, I, I started off in 9/11 uh, just as an average citizen, going, okay, I, I was aware of the Kennedy thing back in '92, and. You know, I had done some research on that. Never done anything public with it. I really didn't have any desire to get, you know, sucked into that publicly or anything. And the 9/11 came along, and um, you were in uh, jail. I, I had a desk job, and I went to school at night. And I, I listened to the thing on the radio, and then I got home that night, and uh, 
I didn't see it until about 5.30 central time, any of it, and the video was just shocking. Um, how how do, can these buildings come down like that? And uh, the, the clouds of dust and the people running and uh, these giant buildings are there one minute and gone the next. Um, how does this happen? You know, the whole country went basically into a kind of a catatonic, numb state. And I wasn't that much different than anybody else. I was kind of uh, just watching that destruction was just numbing. Um, so I, I was basically asleep for about three years after it. Um, well, well, 9-11 was always a peripheral issue to me because I've spent so much time investigating 6,000 years of Jewish treachery. So it's just another mile marker on, on, the road, on, on the road to the lake of fire as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, you were you were ahead of me in that respect. Um, yeah. You know, I at, at that time, me and my buddies in high school, we we would goof. You know, if we would cheat somebody out of something, hey, you got Jewed. You know, we growing up, we always figured, okay, well, Jews were a minority. You know, in a tiny minority, but they had a lot more money probably than they should have. But we we didn't think they actually ran the planet or anything. Um, you, you know, I was like I said, I was just a regular Joe Blow uh, working stiff when this all went down and then, you know, I didn't even really think twice about it just cause I was so busy until about, um, August of 2004, I used to listen to coast to coast AM and, um, he had, uh, George Nori had Dave Von Kleist on and Von Kleist started talking about the planes and I'm like, well, even if these guys are on something or whatever, something that that's just not right something is amiss here and I'm like okay dude it's time to wake up and so I started looking at it in the summer of 2004 and by early 2005 I had pretty much figured out that they had nuked the Twin Towers well well, 9-11 is a much more significant issue to people that wake up to the Jewish treachery with 9-11 and I don't blame them for that you mentioned the Kennedy episode. That definitely should have woke people up, and and it really didn't. Maybe it has within the last ten years, but it didn't wake anybody up for the first fifty. So, what what the hell? Well, I guess you know at this stage of the game, the way I look at it is, you know, nine eleven now is starting to kind of get a little more mileage in the in the media again. It's starting to pop up again, and I think Kennedy will too. I think they're both. Um, they're both good tools to have in the toolbox. Um, you know, as we, we shall see here, you know, we're going to do a, a pretty, you know, a, you know, not a, not a several hour long discourse on it, but we'll do a pretty decent breakdown here. And maybe before we get, you know, hardcore into it, I should just throw out the disclaimer of, um, you know, if people getting blown into tiny bits and pieces, you know, if that sort of thing disturbs you, uh, this may not be the podcast for you. Um, I know Bill's audience is going to be Jew aware, obviously, but you know when it comes to this stuff, you know this upsets a lot of people. I, you know, just talking to this to people in everyday life, I get a lot of, I hear a lot of angst, and and this can upset people. So if if you're that type of person, you know maybe this isn't the podcast for you. Well, most of the people who listen to my podcasts are, are well-versed in their Bibles and are used to reading about people getting chopped and hacked to pieces, so it yeah. should be natural for them. I just like to 
throw my little disclaimer out, uh, especially for people that aren't familiar with my stuff. Uh, no, this, that's this kind of. I'm this, sure you want to um, elucidate what you mean by nuke the towers. That that's a controversial idea with many of my listeners, and others accept it. The people who listen to Christogenia are all over the map, and and. I guess I haven't alienated any of them because I don't really take a position on it. And and I'd rather, when I talk to people about 9-11, I'd rather talk to them on their terms because I'm more interested in teaching them who the culprits are, right? Yeah, I, I originally got into this just kind of on my own. And like I say, uh, in about January of 2005, I came across the work of uh, the Finnish military expert. And he was talking about hydrogen bombs. And then he... You you can still Google him to this day. That web page is still up there. Just Google the Finnish military expert. And the pictures you see from 9-11 look eerily similar to nuclear test detonations. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was it. Because what what it boils down to is, okay, with, with the Twin Towers and Building 7 right there, those three buildings weighed approximately 3 billion pounds. Um, and then we we got an – I don't think the source is available anymore online, but – as of about 10 years ago, it was. And uh, the the workers collected about a billion pounds of debris. So roughly 2 billion pounds of building just completely vanished. So what you have to do is you have to ask yourself, okay, um, building one came down in, uh, or building, so the South Tower, building two was the first one to go. That went down in nine seconds. The North Tower came down in 11 and building seven came down in 6.5 seconds. So the whole total there is less than 30 seconds. So how do you get rid of 2 billion pounds of building in under 30 seconds? You've got to come up with a source of energy that can, can explain that. And there's really only one. <laughs> there's only one source of energy that can account for that. Um, you know, in the case of the Twin Towers, you had 43,600 windows. 600,000 square feet of glass, 200,000 tons of structural steel, 5 million square feet of gypsum, 6 acres of marble, 425,000 cubic yards of concrete. Now, you had to get rid of all that in less than 20 seconds in the case of the Twin Towers. Well, the Twin Towers were my playground when I was a child. I was all over them when I was a kid. I watched them build them. I grew up in Jersey City across the river across the river in Jersey City. We used to hop the turnstiles on Saturday mornings when nobody was around and take the train over to Manhattan and and walk around Chinatown and make fun of chinks or sit in Greenwich Village and, and in Washington Square Park and, and watch all the circus freaks because it was always filled with circus freaks on a Saturday afternoon. And and we'd play in the Twin Towers, in the basements, in the subways. And, and um, sometimes we had the money to go up to the top, and it was like six bucks, I think, even in, in the 1970s. And, and we'd walk around the top and check out Jersey and Brooklyn. And, and that was what we did for fun, not every Saturday, but probably half a dozen Saturdays a summer. And the underground um, chambers in the basements and, and the subway stations of the, of the World Trade Center were quite cavernous. But I still couldn't imagine fitting 110 stories of building into them. 
that's it. That's that's the million dollar question. Um, and you know, we have a clip of uh, Frank Morales here. We can play in a minute. Um, he talks about there's no, there were no desks, chairs, computers, telephones, or toilets found in the rubble of the twin towers. You know, where did all that stuff go? Which would be pretty amazing, I could imagine. And I've been in offices in the Twin Towers in my professional life, and they should be loaded with desks, chairs, and file cabinets. That's all I could say. I didn't see the rubble. I can't comment on it at all, one way or another, but there should be millions of desks, chairs, and file cabinets. <laughs> yeah, it, it exactly. Where did it go? And like, well, you know, Part of the the meme that's out there is, well, the buildings weren't full, they were largely vacant, yada, yada. Well, there was still toilets. There was still, you know, a lot of stuff there, okay? There was, the the towers weren't empty. There's a certain, you know, quote-unquote research group out there that likes to to put the meme out that the towers were completely empty and nobody died on 9-11. You know, and that's, you know, that's bullshit. Um, Cantor Fitzgerald... Pretty much all those people got killed. Why just about the whole company. Just, I'm sorry. Why doesn't somebody just go to the um, the real estate classifieds and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times or whatever and and see how many spaces in the World Trade Center were for rent? There, there were quite a few, uh, you know, and that's not something I've spent a lot of time on because to me, if if they killed one person, that's murder, and obviously they killed a lot more than that. They killed thousands of people. So, you know, from my, you know, from my perspective, it was a mass murder oh, of no innocent doubt. people. Yeah. No matter how the towers came down, nukes or no yep. nukes, it, it, it's still a, a, a perpetrated act of murder. Yeah, I mean, people that just showed up for work that day, um, you know, some went home covered in dust. Others never made it home at all. Others there didn't find any any piece of them at all, Com- completely vaporized. And and that's what we're getting at here, I guess. And and yep. um, you're welcome to to run with it. Okay. Um. So I think uh, you know this might be a good time to play the the Frank Morales clip, and then uh, I guess we'll we'll pick it up after that because Frank. Frank was called down to ground zero to perform last rites uh, on the dead. And uh, he was an I, he was there that afternoon. Is he some uh, sort of priest? Yeah, yeah, he was, he's a Catholic priest. Yeah. Okay. Bon, Frank, welcome to the dynamic duo. It's nice to be with you, Jim. I've read a number of pieces of yours, and anyone I should mention can go on Google and just enter Frank Morales, M-O-R-A-L-E-S, and you'll find a lot of really good stuff, including some I'm going to talk about. One is entitled Ground Zero, another The Provocateur State, a third about U.S. military civil disturbance planning. And uh, when you talk about disturbance, Believe me, reading what Frank has to say is very disturbing in many different ways. Frank, I'd like to read just a paragraph from your piece about Ground Zero, which I found very affecting. Uh, when you were called to come down there to, to help out, you took an evening shift. Yes. And, and, and here, here you were talking about a, with a first responder who was really sick and spitting up blood and popping antibiotics and... 
how the wives of his friends buried somewhere beneath a burning toxic earth were calling him and asking him if he'd found their husbands. Recognizing that I was somewhat overwhelmed by the spectacle of devastation all around us, he said to me, Father, you don't see any chairs or tables, no desks, do you? All you see is steel and earth. Look at the earth, he said. The people are in it. As he said this, he motioned me to examine the soil that I was standing in. It was rich and moist, enriched with the ground-up bodies of the dead. My feet inside my boots began to tingle. At this point, recognizing that I had truly arrived in hell, I was moved to utter in his presence, possibly for his benefit, hey, that if I had somebody in this mess, I'd be pissed as shit. Yeah, I'd want to get those motherfuckers. At which point, he put his hand on my shoulder and whispered, hey, it's not about that. You want to know something? Drawing near to my ear, Bush and Bin Laden have the same banker. Yeah. Stunning. And people have asked me, you know, Frank, did he really say that? And uh, I assure you, everything I have in that piece is uh, is as it uh, heard. Frank, this is uh, just so moving. I mean, there were 1,100 bodies that weren't recovered ever. Were no part of them. Not a, yeah. Not well, a, in fact, not a... the uh, the medical examiner's office here in New York lists the uh, you know because I was interested in in looking at, and I'm not sure that it's been sufficiently examined, you know, the the literal evidence of the bodies, in other words, exactly what what happened to those people, and the medical examiner here in New York classifies those roughly 1,100 bodies, I think it's might slightly more than that, as vaporized. Yeah. These, uh, you know, with the, the DNA of some of the people in the blood of some of the other people and so on and so forth, it didn't strike me at the time when I was there um, performing last rites, which is shortly after the, the you know the bombings took place. But um, I soon became aware that it was not really feasible that these bodies would be vaporized with the mere collapse of the of the floors on top. You know, one logically in common sense would assume that that many people trapped underneath collapsing floors, you know, the great majority would wind up at the base of the building, um, that you wouldn't have this this phenomena of uh, people, and uh, let alone, uh, you know, uh, chairs and desks and everything else, being, being totally vaporized. So as I said, when I first was there and I was struck with how little debris, relatively speaking, I mean, I expected... 30 stories of, of debris, that everything seemed to be pulverized. And I was kind of struck that I was so overwhelmed with the devastation and so on and so forth that I really didn't factor in, as I have since, that uh, these buildings certainly were not um, you know, brought down simply as a result of jet fuel. Yeah, that's a great point. In fact, uh, Judy Wood, who is uh, perhaps the leading expert studying what happened to the World Trade Center, has estimated that there ought to have been about 12.5% of the mass there in the rubble pile. For example, in Building 7, which was a 47-story building that, as you know, came down at 5.20 in the afternoon, right. having been hit by no planes and having no jet fuel fires. There were anywhere from five to seven stories there, about 12% of a 47-story building. In the case of these 210-story buildings, however, they were basically reduced to ground level. It's absolutely stunning. Yeah. The, the, North, the, the North Tower was referred to 
when I was there as a 2,000-degree pit because it wasn't even above ground. At that point, it was simply a pit, and the the, uh, the cherry picker, which was emblazoned with a fl an American flag, which had a Native American, an image of a Native American um, superimposed over the flag, just for historical accuracy's sake, um, on the on the cherry picker itself was literally going down into the pit, which was very difficult because of the heat that was being generated from what I'd come to learn was molten steel at the base of this pit um, that uh, you didn't even have, you know, the, the, in that case it was, it was below ground level. So, I mean, I remember that quite vividly, and, and the comment that you read, um, you know, I, I just wanted to bring out to people, it was, it was an honest uh, rendition of what occurred there, but it, it, I tried to portray the emotions that anyone would go through. You know, I sat there and, you know, I came in to to do that task, to do last rites, and you went through a, sort of a series of concentric circles of security, including the National Guard people at the very end and, uh, and so on. And then when I was finally literally with the guys who were moving steel and and uh, traipsing around this, all of this debris, um, it, late at night, I just got this sense, like, man, this thing is really, you know, and yeah, I could see, you know, if, if I knew who did this, I'd really want to get him. I mean, I was kind of, yeah. but then I learned, and this was the lesson for me there, was that the, the prevailing ethic at that moment, for a lot of people, and I know there were a lot of us who kind of weren't dealing on this revenge, let's go kill somebody kind of level, but they were as far removed from that as one could be, because when you were so close to that when you could you know literally as i said the guys are walking around with one pound bags little plastic seal up red bags where they were collecting you know inch or less than inch pieces of body or what they thought were pieces of body and they're walking around picking these up with their hands you lost the uh the momentum to carry out you know that which was in front of you on to somebody else you didn't you didn't go there you didn't and, and this is what people don't understand it's very easy to sit back and uh, if you're not immersed in that kind of killing that kind of death um, and wish it on someone else but it's it's not that way when you're when you're situated in it there's a there's a different kind of a of a of a logic that takes place there so the lesson that i got from these guys was was quite different and it's it's a fact that this guy said to me and another guy later on i don't know if i put it in the piece i may have said that um you know i was he was commenting about what was going on and i was saying yeah this is like wow this is really destructive he says well look this is rich people fighting over the oil and we're caught in the middle and we're caught in the middle it's there indeed frank stand by we'll be right back with my very special guest frank morales this is jim fetzer your host on the dynamic duo how long ago was that? I'm just curious. Uh, that was, yeah, that was a uh, Jim Fetzer interview with Frank Morales from 2007. Okay. So nine years were, ago, were there, yeah. Were there any um, firefighters or anybody else corroborating Morales' statements? Oh, yeah. Um, a good guy to look up is uh, Charlie Vitchers. Uh, he was one of the guys running the cherry picker uh, down at Ground Zero. I've got a couple of quotes from him on my blog on the uh, Mystery Solved uh, article. 
Okay, I'm just curious. There's, there's a lot of um, I understand. I've had a lot of friends and and coworkers and even my own family who have been through um, Vietnam, the Iraq War, horrible incidents that really don't like to talk about it. So I understand that there would be few testimonies from people who were there in the aftermath of 9/11. But I would like to. Um, quantify that there actually are corroborating testimonies oh yeah there's there's a bunch of them uh i, I just use frank's you know uh because he's so well spoken and uh he paints a very good picture of what what went on down there he, he just wasn't convincing to me as a catholic priest but then again he's a new york puerto rican so <laughs> yeah from that Maybe perspective I'm you know I, I'm, I'm just using him here as a witness and, right uh, i understand that yeah. I, i'm just biased that's me yeah, his his stuff is backed up because the the coroner uh, the coroner's office uh, he's right about that. They categorized over eleven hundred people as just being completely vaporized. That's and, amazing, uh, but it's more amazing that there weren't a lot more people in those buildings. Well, when you figure eleven hundred people and a hundred and ten stories times two, you you're talking five people per story. Well, eleven hundred people they just couldn't find any trace of at all. Um, now there was a lot more bodies that were found, but it was mostly chunks, like he was talking about. It wasn't full bodies. It was these people were that they right. did find. There were a few, but it was mostly just tiny chunks, bone fragments. Yeah, they were cut in pieces. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so what? What the hell could do something like that? And that's what got me down the, the rabbit hole. Like I said, uh, I, I started looking at the, the Finnish military expert. And then I came across a site called 911u.org, and they talk about the energy surplus at ground zero. And uh, I'll really, you can only explain this from a physics standpoint with a thermonuclear explosion. Um, so, you know, and then I started, uh, I got in the public realm uh, back in, you know, at the end of 2010 or early 2011, I think, um, no, it was, you know, it was the end of 2011, beginning of 2012. Uh, Jim, I, I was listening to Jim Fetzer's show quite a bit, and he had uh, re- Chuck Baldwin, retired uh, physics and uh, chemistry professor. He was debating the Judy Wood people. Um, he debated uh, Morgan Reynolds, and they did a two-hour show. They each got two 25-minute segments, and uh, you know, we, we, that's about the time the, the war with the Judy Wood crew started ramping up. And I got so mad listening to Morgan Reynolds just spew this BS that I, you know, I, I got to hear up my rear end to send Fetzer an email. And I said, well, look, you know, Morgan's full of it. And, you know, this is why. And I go, this is what really happened. And the next thing I know, Jim uh, had invited me to speak at Vancouver in support of the uh, nuclear demolition theory. So what, what Jim Fetzer did was he's like, hey, you know, I don't have time or the technical knowledge to to solve every aspect of 9/11. So what what we do is we bring in people uh, that can handle certain areas. So kind of my task in all this was the nuclear demolition of the towers, and I worked with uh, Jeff Prager and Ed Ward. And um, Ed Ward is a guy; uh, he's a, a medical uh, former medical doctor. I think he's retired now. Um, he's done a lot of uh, physics, you know, uh, radiology, stuff like that. Um, so he, he sent me a lot of good material on, 
fusion, nuclear fusion. And Jeff Prager kind of handled the fission stuff. And Jeff kind of got fed up with the whole public research thing, and he quit. So I figured, well, when Jeff quit kind of at the end of 2012 there, I figured I better learn the nuclear fission angle too. Um, so I ended up learn, learning both, but it took it took you know many hours of research to get there. Um, but what just what is the nuclear demolition theory here? So obviously these weren't huge you know nukes like people think of with you know, flatten a whole city. Um, that would have been too obvious. So you know our theory is is that these were you know low yield small neutron devices. Um, in the case of the towers, there was uh, some underground nukes, and then there were uh, a series of nukes uh, that were detonated from top to bottom that took out the 47 core columns of the building. And on the outside of the building, uh, the outer lattice framework there, they probably used conventional explosives like RDX. Because you, you can see the demolition squibs and stuff in various films of the, of the destruction. So, okay, yeah, like we said, we, we think it's neutron bombs. So just what exactly is a neutron bomb? There's a lot of confusion about that. So the uh, the neutron bomb, also called an enhanced radiation warhead, is a specialized type of small thermonuclear weapon that produces minimal blast and heat, but which releases large amounts of lethal radiation. Uh, the neutron bomb delivers blast and heat effects that are confined to an area only a few hundred yards in radius. That's for a, a bigger bomb, even. Uh, these smaller ones wouldn't even be that far out. Um, but within a somewhat larger area, it throws off a massive wave of uh, neutron and gamma radiation, which can penetrate armor or several feet of Earth. This radiation is extremely destructive to living tissue. Because of its short-range uh, destructiveness and absence of long-range effect, the neutron bomb would be highly effective against tank and uh, infantry formations on the battlefield, but would not endanger cities or population centers only a few miles away. So, okay, so we, we think, so the definition of a neutron bomb is that it's a small thermonuclear weapon. So, okay, so what do we mean by thermonuclear or hydrogen bomb? Um, the hydrogen bomb, or H-bomb, uh, is a weapon deriving a large portion of its energy from the nuclear fusion of hydrogen isotopes. In an atomic bomb, or just, you know, your regular atom bomb, uh, uranium or plutonium is split into lighter elements that together weigh less than the original atoms, uh, the remainder of that mass appearing as energy. Unlike the fission bomb, the hydrogen bomb functions by the fusion or joining together of lighter elements into heavier elements. The end product again weighs less than its components, the difference once again appearing uh, as energy. Because extremely high temperatures are required in order to initiate fusion reactions, the hydrogen bomb is also known as a thermonuclear bomb. Uh, the presumable structure of a thermonuclear bomb is as follows. Um, at its center, it has an atomic bomb, so just a regular atom bomb, you know, uranium or plutonium. Uh, surrounding it is a layer of uh, lithium deuteride, uh, a compound of lithium and deuterium, uh, the isotope of hydrogen with a mass number of two. Around it is a tamper, a, a thick outer layer, layer. It's usually uh, uranium-238 or depleted uranium that holds the contents together in order to uh, obtain a larger explosion. Uh, neutrons from the atomic explosion cause the lithium to fission into helium, 
tritium, which is a key element, which is the isotope of hydrogen with a mass number of three, and energy. Uh, the atomic explosion also supplies the temperatures needed for the subsequent fusion of deuterium and tritium and of uh, tritium with tritium. So you're talking around 200 million degrees Fahrenheit for all this. Um, enough neutrons are produced in the fusion reactions to produce further fission in the core to initiate uh, fission in the tamper. So in a typical hydrogen bomb, you've got a uranium-238 case, and uranium-238 is not fissionable except at extremely high heat or energy levels. So a typical hydrogen bomb, you've got fission, fusion, and then fission again. So it's kind of a three-stage weapon. Uh, with a neutron bomb, instead of the uranium-238 case, you've got a nickel or a chromium case. And what that does is it, um, it, it lets uh, neutrons escape the device. So not as much blast, but more neutrons. And okay, that's interesting. I'm just sucking it all in, so don't stop. Okay. Um, all right, so then let's uh, – kind of the key isotope here you know, from a thermonuclear standpoint is tritium. So let's, uh, let's talk about tritium for a minute. So hydrogen uh, 3 or 3H is known as tritium, and it contains one proton and two neutrons in its nucleus. Uh, it is radioactive, decaying into helium-3 through beta-minus decay with a half-life of 12.32 years. Uh, small amounts of tritium occur naturally because of the interaction of cosmic rays with atmospheric gases. Um, tritium has also been released with uh, nuclear weapons tests. It is used in thermonuclear fusion weapons. As it, uh, it's also a tracer in uh, isotope geochemistry and in specialized self-powered lighting devices, uh, i.e. wristwatches. Uh, the most common method of producing tritium uh, is by bombarding a natural isotope of lithium, lithium-6, with neutrons in a nuclear reactor. Um, nuclear tests have been conducted in the atmosphere since 1945, uh, producing tritium in amounts that greatly exceed the global natural uh, activity, uh, particularly during 1954 to 58 and 61 to 62, uh, when a large number of large yield tests were undertaken. The tritium activity arising from atmospheric nuclear tests can be estimated from the uh, fission and fusion yields of the weapons uh, or from environmental measurements. Um, and you get more tritium from fusion than you do uh, fission. Um, and the, the key thing to take away from all of that is the tritium that is produced by a nuclear explosion is almost completely converted into tritiated water, which then mixes with environmental water. So why does this matter to us in a 9-11 context? Well, the Department of Energy found tritiated water in the basement of uh, World Trade Center 6. And 11 days after 9-11, it was 55 times background. Uh, and tritiated water is the smoking gun of a thermonuclear explosion. Um, people like Steve Jones that, uh, and Judy Wood that downplay the tritium at ground zero are trying to cover up the nuke angle. And Steve Jones is a nuclear physicist that denies nukes on 9-11. On he, he is really 
a slimy character, and you, one of the main motivators for me to get into this publicly, uh, just because he's such a scumbag. Um, okay, I thought Judy Woods um, espoused the nuclear weapon. No, no, Judy Wood, uh, her, and it, it, you know, once you start to study Judy Wood, you can almost swear that all this material was written by a Jewish lawyer because there's a lot of weasel words in there, but. A, she does not have a theory. Okay, she. And when you read her website or her book, she says, "Look, I don't have a theory. I've got proof and evidence." Blah blah blah. And she she vehemently denies nukes. Oh, she's the directed energy energy weapon. Yes, okay. there was just these the directed energy hole, weapons. Right? Yeah. Wrong rabbit hole. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, some unknown. You know, like they they like to use Tesla. You know, some type of Tesla energy. I, yeah, they're usually like the Nazi conspiracy people. They never really talk about Jews at all, or except no, the, no. Judy except Wood. The uh, yeah, the, the bottom line with Judy Wood is uh, no nukes on nine eleven, no explosion, no explosives whatsoever, uh, is what is what kind of what she claims, and that uh, not even you can't really, you can't go after anybody until you figure out what happened. Right. Well, which is all just ridiculous. But when, when when you see Jews partying all over New York and New Jersey, you, you know pretty much who did it. I, I'm, that's that, that's all it took to convince me. I, yep. I mean, I've been to um, West New York, New Jersey, right? I used to go there a lot. I used to hang out in a park in, in Weehawken right over the place where um, Alexander Hamilton was killed by Aaron Burr. It was one of my favorite hangouts. And I've been all over up there. And there are not a lot of Orthodox Jews there. There aren't. All the Orthodox Jews are across the, across the river in the Diamond District, and, and they live in Brooklyn, for the most part. I mean, this is the, the, the 1990s. Well, when, and, and throughout the 80s and 90s, this was my stomping grounds. Are there Jews there? Yes. Do you see a lot of Orthodox Jews? No. You don't. Not at that time in, in Weehawken or West New York. And why would a whole bunch of Orthodox Jews be standing across the Hudson River on that morning? And, and they could only be there because it's the best vantage point next to maybe Liberty State Park in Jersey City, which is way under their budget, right? And, and they had to be standing there waiting for it to happen. Yeah, now... One angle, that, or you know, one meme that's been thrown out there is that no Jews were killed on 9/11, <clears throat> and that that is false. There was, I think, 50 or 60 that were killed. But really, let's think about it. On an average day, how many Jews are there on Wall Street? Well, well, I've, I would think and, 50 or 60 is a kind of low ratio for. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, like on on, a, on an average day, how many Jews are going to be working in Wall Street in the tens, World Trade Center tens area? Of thousands. <laughs> yeah. So if you were to take out two skyscrapers or three, you know, actually all all seven buildings with the WTC prefix were destroyed on 9/11. It wasn't just the towers in Building Seven. Uh, it was all all seven plus. Uh, they had to tear down the Bankers Trust Building because of the damage it was that got inflicted on it from the destruction of the South Tower, and the Winter Garden had to be completely rebuilt because it was crushed by North Tower debris. So really, you had nine buildings that were were flattened that day. Okay, it, it's I haven't been there since um, ninety five probably. 
but but I, I still remember the area pretty well. Yeah, so to only have 50 or 60 Jews killed on, on 9-11, that is kind of striking. And there are a number of them that have admitted they got the Jew call to stay out of Manhattan that day. Well, well, the subway should have been loaded with people still. It was still early enough for that. I do have a um, distant cousin who works in downtown Manhattan who was caught in the subways on that day. And, and fortunately, the, sub, the train stopped and they had to get out and walk back through the tunnel that he didn't make it to the World Trade Center. But um, that, that's, that it, it, it was still late enough in the morning that those buildings should have been full. If you ever um, walked, I, I remember once I was walking, I was working nights right near the downtown athletic club in the MCI building. I was working nights and I had to leave late and I left late and, and had to walk. I didn't have my car. I had to walk against the commuter crowd coming out of the World Trade Center. And it was like walking against the ocean. I was getting dizzy walking against this crowd. There were so many people in, in the, um, coming out of the subways in the plaza of the World Trade Center. And, and it's packed there all day. Yeah, it... It should have been, yeah, but there was a lot of people that, that never showed up for work that day, and, uh, well, if your network was in on it, yeah, that's, there's a lot of rabbis that have said they told their, uh, the people in the synagogue not to, not to show up that day. So what would happen if I went to, um, if I, you could get a Geiger counter uh, on Amazon.com probably for a few hundred Geiger months. counters are banned in New York. Geiger counters are banned. Yeah, that's that, the latest word I heard. That they were banned. But what would happen if I got one and went down into what I don't even know what building is there now, right? Some kind of newfangled building they built. I, so, I don't even know what it looks like. But the okay, subway yeah. plaza must still be rebuilt underneath it, unless they rerouted the trains. Okay, they well they they've done a lot of cleanup um, within within an, a, an hour or two of Building Seven come down. They had 125 dump trucks full of dirt and resin that showed up on the scene, and I've got pictures of that, and it's on my blog. <clears throat> and so they were doing soil remediation immediately uh, after uh, Building 7 came down. So the, the first thing you do in a nuclear disaster is you dump, you, you do soil remediation. So here they weren't even taking soil away right off the bat. They were just dumping resin on top. And then as the days went on, they started removing it, um, so, but they were doing soil remedi remediation immediately, and all the workers that were working at, at, at Ground Zero, they went through a full nuclear decontamination protocol before they were allowed to leave. So the, the perps knew what they used, and they, they spent years, um, you know, one thing I, now Judy Wood, okay, she is disinfo, but you you know, as Fetzer likes to say, good disinfo is about 80% truth and 20% bullshit. <clears throat> so if you can kind of weed through that, you can learn some good stuff from Judy Wood, believe it or not. And she went down there in, uh, I believe, 2007 or 2008. And she, she said even then you had a hard time breathing just because of the stuff that was still uh, coming up. But... They've done a lot of cleanup on the soil down there. So if you were to go down there today, you, you probably wouldn't get much. 
And these 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 are smaller bombs too. They uh, they didn't use much uranium. Uh, there was some. What what was down there was there were some underground nukes. The the, the what took out Building Seven was probably three underground nukes. Uh, there was a couple bigger ones under the towers. Um, building Six, uh, that was the building that had the huge crater in it. That's where they found the tritium. And there's reports um, out of Building Six that the cement was so hot in the basement of Building Six that it was flowing like lava around anything in its path. And if you look in, there's a picture of the New York Police Museum where there's they stored guns in Building Six, and they show a couple of them that are just completely encased with cement that was flowing like lava. So how hot does cement have to get before it's going to flow like lava? You know, you got to... The only thing I can think of that's going to produce something like that is going to be a thermonuclear uh, detonation. Okay. I'm sorry about that. That was yep. a little feedback from my computer. I hate um, media that starts automatically. I was looking for what they replaced the World Trade Center with. I haven't seen oh. it yet, to be honest. Oh, okay. Actually, it just it just went up. Okay, where, where Building 6 used to stand is now the new One World Trade Center. Okay. And that's the, the Freedom Tower. Uh, it's got a big antenna on it. And now that's a cool video. Um, I've watched that where they... Uh, they put the top section of the antenna on there. They strapped the camera on there. That's dizzying heights. You can look that up on YouTube. Um, I think that went up like last year, or the just at the end of uh, 2014, I think. Okay, I, I, I'm that ignorant. I, I keep my head buried in my own work and ignore the world. I'm just trying to ask the um, the obvious questions because I know somebody would say, "Hey, what if we bring a Geiger counter over there, right?" And, and yeah, like I said, yeah, they they spent years uh, replacing the soil there. So, um, and again, like I said, these were smaller bombs, so you didn't have a ton of, of fissionable material there anyway. And then after years of, they basically replaced all the dirt there. Like you can see, there's pictures from you know like 2004 or five, I think, where basically the whole thing was just they, it was just a big pit. They kind of dug all of it out. And then all the soil went over to uh, the Fresh Kills landfill where it's under armed guard. And uh, they put all new soil in there. So, and where the towers used to stand, they couldn't rebuild there. They had to put uh, those two reflecting pools. Interesting. So they've got, they've got these pools there that uh, absorb the radioactivity. I wonder why they couldn't rebuild there. Well, I, I think it was because of the, the, the nuclear bombs. See, okay, the, the way the Twin Towers were destroyed was um, before you see the building start coming down, like let's we'll take the North Tower, 17 seconds b before the North Tower started coming down, there's these huge underground explosions. So what that was, that blew a hole um, to where some of the rest of the material could fall into. Um, so the, the, the substructure of the building was blown out, and then... Uh, you had a uh, a series of explosions that went from top to bottom, and these were these are small nukes placed in the core columns of the building, and then they were uh, shape charged so that the blast would go up, and so as it wouldn't take out the bomb below it, and then that kind of simulated a, a free fall collapse. Okay. Okay, I'm just curious as to what the theory is. That's fine. The, yeah. The, and um, 
the neutron the, bomb, you're going to have less radiation than you would a standard nuclear, you know, fission bomb. What people are really going to want to hear is how you got from investigating the World Trade Center collapse to the Jews, the, to, to the Jews, <laughs> right? To the, to the awareness of Jewish treachery. Okay, so, all right. Once you gather this type of info, and then you you start posting it on a blog, or even before any I put any of this out publicly, my inbox started filling up. And once Fetzer announced that I was going to speak at Vancouver, boom, I got bombarded immediately by the attack dogs. I mean, people that, I mean, just insane. You know, I got, you know, I keep all these emails. I, I don't like to read them anymore, but if, if I had to produce them for some reason or other, I could. Um, you know, the Tom Potters, uh, the Andrew Johnsons, the Emmanuel Goldsteins, all the Judy Wood crew immediately started attacking me. And it was it was a vicious, uh, and, and, and all these attack dogs used kind of the same style. They work off a script. Uh, they're extremely vicious, and you can right away tell, okay, this has got to be Jewish. Um, and, you know, you would run into these guys in the uh, comment sections of various articles, and uh, they would email me incessantly. Uh, you know, we it, the Vancouver hearings, there was even a bomb threat that was, was emailed in uh, that we didn't know about till later. And I had somebody else tell us that... Uh, uh, when we were in Vancouver that weekend, we were followed 100% of the time. That's what I was told. But uh, I didn't go very far. I wasn't up to much. But every every move we made was under surveillance. In Canada, I wouldn't doubt it one bit. Because if you start talking about Jews, they're going to lock you up and deport <laughs> you, whatever. Yes, they have that's, to do. and that's really when it, when it clicked with me was when I was in Vancouver in June. I think it was June second and third of twenty twelve, uh, or was it first and second? Um, I sat there. You know, my end was hey, figure out how the buildings came down. So I spent months doing that. I didn't really look at the. I just assumed Bush and Cheney were in on it at some level, and then. Um, I sat there that Saturday night, and I heard about four presentations. I heard uh, 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 Josh Blakeney, uh, Kevin Barrett, and uh, Greg Felton just they hammered Israel for about four hours there. And I thought, wow, because then when you look at it, look, all the wars were fought after 9-11 to benefit Israel. Um, so then I, I started putting it together. Yeah, this is bigger than Bush and Cheney. This This is a lot bigger. And then that's when the Jewish question really rears its ugly head for you. I would think that all the wars fought for at least the last 500 years had benefited nothing but Jews. <laughs> and once you start studying this, that's, that is the conclusion you come to. The Civil War, you know, there was Jews involved in that. Uh, the War of 1812, that was all Jewish. Um, they this, were both caused by the London bankers. Yep. Well, without yep. a doubt. The Civil War and the War of 1812, that the um, the, the Thirty Years' War, that the the, the, the Franco-German Wars, that the British-French Wars, the Wars of Napoleon, Jews were behind every one of them, and usually on both sides. Yeah, they they fund both sides, they profit off of it, and either way they win. Um, All the time. So yeah, once I started doing the public uh, thing, wow, boy, did the attacks come. You, you really, just being an average working guy, you really have no 
interaction with with people like that. And uh, when boy, when you stick your head up above water just even a little bit, you draw some attention. I will tell you that, boy. I was I was shocked. You know, I knew there was going to be some flack for doing nine eleven stuff, but boy, I had no idea the level of vitriol and angst that that would be caused out there and that's when it hit home for me and then so i kind of went from that to like boy i don't really you know i started thinking about it. i'm like well i really don't know anything about judaism i mean i know hanukkah and you know even purim to it a little bit but you know i didn't pay attention you know yom kippur i didn't really know what any of these holidays were i i didn't know anything about their traditions or you know what, what they were doing. I, you know, I always thought, hey, they're the people of the Old Testament or whatever. But that's you know, what maybe. most people think, and most people really don't want to engage. Or when they do engage the question, that they have this Judeo-Christian indoctrination that 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 causes them to stonewall any uh, and any attempt at bringing them the truth. So uh, you know, I. I but once once I had started uh, doing shows with Jim Fetzer, uh, you know, some other people would start contacting me. Hey, now you're kind of a player, and boy, did I get the lowdown uh, behind the scenes on some of the people that uh, you can hear on Jim's podcast. Uh, they are very Jew aware. Wow, boy, did I get. <laughs> you kind of get this whole other education of what they're really up to, and uh, you know, they do this, they do that. This was them. That was them. And pretty soon, you, you you figure out basically all these conspiracies are it's all Jews. Is Fetzer some kind of um college teacher or college professor or he's, something? He's a, a retired uh, professor emeritus, McKnight uh, professor emeritus from the University of Minnesota Duluth. Okay. Uh, so he collects a pension, so he doesn't have a job yep. at risk. Because I, I don't know the guy, right? I, I don't pay attention to him, but a lot of the people close to me that, that, that have studied the 9-11 issue, and and they're not in any one particular place. They're all over the map, but they suspect Fetzer because that they think that he doesn't talk about Jews enough or for whatever reason. So maybe you could clarify some of that. Okay, uh, Jim... Uh, it's a guy that spent 35 years in higher education, so he did get fully indoctrinated into the into. I mean, Jewish higher education is all Jewish, basically. Right. I, I think we all know that, and so kind of kind of put that in there that Jim's been heavily propagandized. Um, but having said that, he he wants to get to the bottom of this shit. Pardon my French there, and. He, he does bring in people that name the Jew. Believe me, I get the emails from them on a daily basis. So, to me, like, like I said, what Jim does is we have kind of like an open debate society. So, a lot of the things you hear Jim talking about may not have been authored by him per se, but maybe somebody in one of his groups. You know, he's got a group of people that do Sandy Hook. He's got another group that do nine eleven. You know, a group that does JFK. Uh, there's kind of these different research communities. Uh, okay. That, and, and he does this for, for um, the public good and not for his own profit, I guess. Yeah, we, we I, don't There's make no money, money in the truth, right? No, no, they're absolutely not. No, truth, truth is hard. Truth requires enormous work. Uh, truth is it, well, inconvenient, as Al Gore would say. Uh, it's... 
it's uncomfortable, it's hard, and it, it's very elusive. Um, but once you run into it, you know you hit it. Um, but you, you, it's not going to just pop up in your face. You know, there's no easy answers to 9/11. You know, there's no easy answers to JFK. You know, there's no easy answers uh, to Sandy Hook. You know, to really know what happened, you have to put in the time. Well, well, right. That's absolutely true. There's no easy answers to Jewish identity, and I'm confronted with it all the time. People want me to prove it in in, in a soundbite in five seconds, and, and it just can't be done that way. It takes at least sit down for a couple of hours with one of my papers and check out the citations. They don't even want to do that. No, they just want to come out and attack you because they don't like what you said. Well, okay. I get that you don't like, I mean, and this is, I've run into this in 9-11. Um, okay, I know you don't want to, nobody, hey, hey, we got nuked on 9-11, that's great. Yeah, nobody says that. Um, but, you, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to trash my theory, then you have to come up with an alternate theory that can explain everything. And that's where people run into trouble because, okay, like, you know, you hear the thermite thing out there quite a bit. All right, well, nanothermite, you know, if it even exists, um, it's probably thermite uh, would have to be it because the, the nano-sized thermite that, that has any kind of pop at all, um, you apparently have to make it in a zero-gravity environment. Um, <clears throat> so so there is no production lab in, in the, on terra firma that can do it. So regular thermite's only got a detonation velocity of 895 meters a second uh, to to decimate steel, you need 6,100 meters a second. Concrete, 3,200 meters a second. So nanothermite can't explain, you know, the decimation of steel and concrete on 9-11. And it, it can't explain the heat that persisted for six months. The, the rubble pile was between 600 and 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit for six months after 9-11 which is about equal to the cool-down time nuke of an, of, of an underground nuclear explosion. Okay, that's interesting. Let's get back to the Jew thing. Yes. <laughs> one of my, yeah, one so of my favorite topics. So. It, it's people love to hear, well, when, it, it's edifying to identity Christians to hear how somebody from, from that, that's a regular Joe out there in the world um, awakens to this message and, and, and to the truth about Jewish treachery and, and things like that. And it's edifying to them because we're always looking for a recipe of how to get people here. And there is no recipe, right? We know that. But not an easy not an easy one, but it, it's a pursuit that practically every identity Christian has. Yeah. I mean if if you're an identity Christian, you, you must have put some time in. See and I guess, okay, so I, I got to the, the Jew thing by, I had a couple of really, you know, I've only been doing this really at a serious level for five years. Uh, there's people that have been at it for a very long time, and I get the benefit of their knowledge. So I was contacted by some real heavy hitters, and they, I really learned a lot about the Jews from them. You know, I've got emails and stuff, but, you know, some of these people don't want to be, you know, they don't want their name out there all the time. They want to work. Taken, they want to yeah. be able to feed their kids 
Yeah, they've, they, they've taken a lot of punishment. You know, some of the stories you hear, believe me, uh, you know, the 9-11 truth, I mean, you can end up in court real quick. Um, the Jew lawyers can get after you in a heartbeat uh, if you're not careful. And it's nasty. So some people are like, hey, look, I know these people up close and personal, and they don't really want to, they've taken their punishment, they don't really want to do any more, you know. But I did benefit a lot from them, so like, well, it's like once you see it, you know, it's it's like the Roddy Piper thing where the glasses come on and wow, boy, you just can't miss it. Um, I went from really having no, you know, in 2010, like really no clue about Jewish power to, you know, by the time 2013 hit, it's like, wow, you look around, it's like, you know, I was describing it to a guy at work uh, a couple of years ago. I said, look, we're like fish that swim in a Jewish ocean. You know, your money is produced by Jews. Uh, so you're, I mean, all corporations are Jewish. They all use the dollar, which is Jewish currency. Um, so almost by definition, they, they have to be Jewish. Uh, everything you you read or in, in a mainstream newspaper or website, uh, blog, it's all Jewish. Right, absolutely, I agree. All the main, the entire mainstream media is Jewish-controlled or pro-Jewish. Yep. Even the Christian media, it's absolutely oh, did, Yeah, and uh, like once once you start to study like Christian identity and and see the the, the reason I guess the way I got here was I kind of reverse reverse engineered it. I'm like, okay, look, all right, the Jews are basically bastards. They lie about everything. So, what do they hate the most? And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's that's really what I did with what what form of Christianity do the Jews hate the most? It, oh, it is Christian I, I identity know from experience. That is Christian identity. So yeah. you know, and I I started to hear uh, some podcasts by Eli James, and then uh, Kingdom Identity, and then you know your stuff. Um, and, and you know, when I first heard Bill Fink, I was like, "Well, is this guy full of it or what?" You know, well, <laughs> so I'm like, "Well, let's put him to the test." Um, if I can debunk it, then uh, he's he's full of it. But I can't. Uh, so you know, I spent a couple of months studying it. See, I wanted somebody that got things right. Okay, I needed a theology that matched up with what I know was going on. Okay, I know what the Jews are really like. Okay, I can't buy into some Christian crap that says, "Hey, these Jews are the God's chosen people." Right. You know. So any kind of theology like that for me is just a non-starter. Well, well, to me personally, it, if your worldview, history, ideas on race, if you're a, a, a racist, and your theology do not fall into place with one another, then, then you may as well just give up, throw your Bible away, try something new. It, it's Forget it. Everything, history and, and theology and, and worldview, have to... Um, coalesce and agree with one another for you to have a normal, freaking, sane life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, the, and the race thing, I really got aware of that, you know, reading the Daily Stormer and, and some of those other sites where before, you know, I, I grew up in a town that was, you know, 98% white. You know, there was the only black kids in my school district at the time were adopted by a white family. You know, and I went from that to working with some and you know, then I started studying the difference between IQ, you know, between the races. I'm like, wow, there is a drop-off. But, 
you know, the in corporate America, basically the blacks that you see there are probably your more high end blacks um, that can read and you know function at close to a normal level. Uh, the ones that made it through school, usually. Yeah, yeah. There's just not that many of them in there, though. Um, it, it, I, I was emailing with a guy back and forth the other day, and okay, so last summer uh, I, I started seeing this invasion of Europe, and I'm like, boy, that looks evil. And I'm like, okay, yep, yeah, it's the Jews behind that. So what's really going on with it? Well, <clears throat> I went from there to studying what happened in Detroit. Um, Detroit was, um, you know, a 95% you know white city um, back as late as uh, 1920 we'll say and then by by the time 1960 hit it was almost 30% black by 1970 43% black and then uh, by 1990 it was 75% black and just uh you know, running some numbers in my head, uh, and it, it appears that if you replace, you know, a million white people with a million black people in a major city like that, in, in, Detroit has just completely collapsed. It's almost the equivalent of about a 75 kiloton nuke right. hitting the city. Absolutely. And I like to joke that General Sherman burned Atlanta, and it's still black. <laughs> yeah, so you know, whatever you think of blacks, they're just they're not compatible with white society on a large scale. Now, are are there a few that can function? Sure. Uh but when you've got a million of them, there's just too many of them that can't. They I agree. they 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 suck up all the resources and you know, this 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 bears out in South Africa as well. Um like take Zimbabwe where they they took the land from all the white farmers, gave it to blacks, and now they're all starving to death. Right. There's reasons why. There's inherent reasons, genetic reasons, why these people have never built a sustainable society or have never sustained a society which, like Detroit, that they more or less had handed to them. They cannot do it. They will never do it. Yeah, exa- yeah. We basically handed them here. Here's an advanced white s- city, Detroit. In 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 the 30s, this was Detroit was one of the greatest cities in in Western civilization. Right. It had the tallest skyscrapers in North America. Um, it had a booming economy, uh, arts, culture, all that. And then, boom, the blacks rioted in the 60s. Uh, the whites went to the suburbs and. The city has completely collapsed now. They're going to have to spend $1.9 billion in demolishing vacant buildings. Well, I lived through that very same um, that, that very same experience as a child in Jersey City. It didn't happen to the same extent because it, it was a like an epicenter of 25 million whites, right? So, so moving them to the suburbs, they still worked in the city, and, and the, the blacks didn't take it over like they did Detroit, which is more or less <coughs> an isolated city with just a few uh, suburbs around it. 
So it's a different demographic, but I, I lived that. When I was a kid, all my friends were, their parents were packing up and heading to the shore or heading out to the Poconos or as far away from Jersey City as they could get. Yeah, it it really, so when you look at it, um, by flooding Europe, what are you trying to do? Well, you're trying to destroy white civilization. Absolutely. You know, it's it's white genocide. So... I was like, wow, how come they're not talking about this on the news? I go, oh, yeah, that's right, because who owns the news? Yeah, it's the same people that are behind the invasion. Well, well right. I mean, if anybody would look at it honestly, they could add those things up for themselves. But that they most people don't want to hear it. No, I, I put a couple of these blurbs up on Facebook, and you wouldn't believe how many people dump me. <laughs> I mean, and it didn't take long either. You know, they they can't debate you on it. They just don't want to talk about it. Right, because it conflicts with what they learn in their churches. And and that that causes conflict in their mind that they can't handle. So they shut you off. You're evil. It's that this, I did an address on, um, I, I did a thing called the Camp of the Saints back six, eight months ago. And use the last 30 minutes to um, address the fallacy of the David Duke position on the Jews. If you think the Jews are the people of the Old Testament, then mainstream Christians will never accept that the Jews are evil. Because if you curse the Jews, they're afraid that you'll be cursed. They don't want to be cursed with you. So they're going to shut you off. That's the way they're trained. They believe their Bible. All you have to do is get them to reevaluate who the Jews are. And you could do that right in the New Testament, and, and, and you could change their entire outlook. But it's difficult to get them to reevaluate it. And people in white nationalism who take for granted that the Jews are telling the truth about the Old Testament are thereby doing the Jews a favor. Yeah, I mean, again, in, when I was talking to somebody one of my research people the other day and uh, you know, the comment was, Hey, white people are stupid. I'm like, no, they're, they're not stupid. Okay. We've built 95% of all the scientific and cultural breakthroughs are from white people. Okay. We're not stupid, but we're built differently than the Jews are. Okay. We're built to build things and, and be productive. And we can't imagine that there is actually people out there that don't look that much different from us. It could be this diabolical. Right. And that's the problem with white people is that they are altruistic and idealistic. So there's this big kind of this gap there for the average person to where, and my brother falls into this, you know, because he's a guy that believes a lot in higher education and he's got a master's degree and he's probably smarter than I am in, in certain areas. But when it comes to this stuff, you know, he isn't. You know, he believes the official story of 9-11 and, <laughs> you know, the Jew stuff really gets to him. Um, I'm not an anti-Semite and you hear those kind of comments. And um, I was kind of tooling around on the Internet the other day and I came across, uh, well, how did the Jews take over? And there's an article on the uh, Biblicism Institute. Now, they've got some stuff that's off base by quite a bit but that one article wasn't bad though it said the goal was one 
they were going to morph themselves into God's chosen people, and two, take over the issuance of money. And they succeeded at that, and that's what's really given them their power. The lie that they are the people of the Old Testament. Right. Which didn't really get them anywhere in, in Europe, probably until the 16th century, 15th, 16th century. And Jews were outcasts, total outcasts. They were ostracized. But they could convert to Christianity and be accepted. And once they converted to Christianity and were accepted, they were put above other Christians because they were Jews. And converted Jews were valued and exalted above regular Christians. So the converso Jews could do much more dangerous work as converted Christians than they could as Jews. Yeah, and we hear about this high Jewish IQ, but what it's really good for is subversion, uh, theft, parasitism. Right. It's not good for producing anything. No. No, they don't produce anything at all. And and that should that that white nationalists that are Jew wise should understand the nature of the Jew and and the nature of the kingdom of Israel in the Bible that the Jews could not possibly have produced that kingdom. Forget it. No, it, it was no, a the... pastoral kingdom. It it its whole calendar revolved around the the, um, the agricultural events of the year. The feasts revolved around the agricultural events of the year, which is what Aryans do. All of our feasts, May Day, Easter, um, Thanksgiving, revolve around the agricultural calendar. Because we, we grow food, we produce food. That, that's absolutely contrary to Jewish nature. But they, most yeah. pe- whites can't even figure that out. No, and okay, like one of my okay, I study the Israeli nuclear program and the creation of Israel. David Ben Gurion, when Israel was first being created, they were they were extremely concerned about who was going to grow the food. That was a big worry for them. They're like, hey, we, you know, how are we going to get these shopkeepers in Berlin to, to come here and grow tomatoes? It's not going to happen. No, because it's not in their it's not in their makeup. It's not in their DNA to be farmers. No, there were actually back-to-the-land programs. Clifton Emmerheiser has written about it. Back-to-the-land programs where these Jewish bankers got the idea that they could buy up tons of the land in, in the American West or in Canada and plant some Jews on it and make them farmers. And they all failed within a few years of their initiation. Yeah, they just don't have the work ethic I mean, really, farming, it's not technically that difficult. It's just you have to get up every day and do it. You've got to want to do it. You've got to want to get up at 4 o'clock and milk the cows. And you've got to want to plow the field and plant the, the crop. They can't and, do it. So they import Mexicans. Yeah, and, and Mexicans will work to a degree. But, you know, you, you kind of have to uh, supervise them closely. And that's why you need so many of them. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly it. Yeah, you can't. It's not a one-on-one. Right. Mexicans there. aren't the workers that they're made out to be in the media. Not at all. Mexicans are terrible. They're almost as lazy as niggers. <laughs> they, they do have their IQ is about four points higher on average. 
than the uh, the blacks. The mestizo IQ average is eighty nine, uh, black eighty five. Um, no, that's what it's quoted as. I've I've run into some people on the internet. They're like, it it really can't even be that high, because uh, I mean, if you look at if you look at West Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, you're looking at the average IQ in the seventies. Right. I mean, I, do you I'm really sure think that... you, you can import these people in mass and and maintain your society? I'm sure that the the blacks and the Mexicans that they find willing to take IQ tests probably have higher IQs, and and that that's exhibited just by the fact that they're willing to take the IQ tests. That would be my theory. You know that that probably yeah I'm like yeah where are these yeah why are they getting well they're probably trying to get into school or something so yeah they the, probably are the higher end people yeah. The, the IQ tests have been skewed the last 50 years to the disadvantage of whites, and they've done that purposely. IQ tests today are nothing like they were 50 years ago. And the Jews have basically rewritten IQ tests. I don't have the particulars in my head, but there is an entire they, thread on my forum that, that demonstrates that. Wasn't the IQ test a... Didn't Jews come up with that to begin with? I don't think they. I don't think initially, no. But that they have perverted it to a great degree. But I'm not positive. I can't say one way or another. You know, yeah, me either. I, I thought somebody. I thought I got an email from somebody that said no, Jews came up with the IQ test, and I think they what they wanted to do was figure out how smart white people were and what it would take to buffalo us. You know. <laughs> Maybe that's my gut feeling on it. And I, I think what they found was that, you know, and as we've seen, okay, if you replace uh, whites en masse with black people, your civilization is going to collapse. And the Jew perspective is, hey, whites are our number one enemy. Uh, we've had problems with them in the past. Uh, if we're going to rule the planet, we have to get rid of them. Uh, we I mean, they crucified, they, they, they killed our God, now they're trying to kill his children. I mean, well, even well, if right. the average white person out there doesn't know who they are, the Jews know who you are. Absolutely. Okay, they're, they're deathly afraid of a white uprising. That's why they're trying to wipe us out as fast as they can. That's absolutely true. I absolutely believe that. It's... um. It all plays into the hands of God in the end, but that's absolutely true. The Jews are, especially these last 50 years, that they've been in a, a um, warp speed, destroy white nations mode, that they've been purposely um, flooding us with aliens and and pushing upon us every sort of perversion that they can. Yeah, Jewish Hollywood is I, I can't watch movies anymore. Um, and I used to like to watch sports. Um, and it's a good way to kill an afternoon or whatever. Um, I almost can't watch that anymore either. Um, it, it, you almost can't turn on the TV in good conscience anymore. I would love to get together with a bunch of white guys and play a game of softball once in a while or throw a football around, but I can't turn the TV on and watch sports. It, it's veritable ape worship. That's what it is. 
that's really yeah that's almost what it, it, it is yeah i mean i got season tickets but i'm gonna sell them and make some money off it and pay down some bills but you know i'm not gonna go to the games anymore i mean i'm gonna probably go to one or two we got a new stadium here i want to at least see the inside of it once or twice but that's gonna be it i i can't sit there glued to that for you know like baseball 162 games or 16 games of football and you know well, well, first, it's a tremendous amount. Uh, it's a tremendous waste of time, and and the the um, the mainstream, the mass media, and the pop culture have most of our young men wasting an an incredible amount of time every year following sports. And and when you get together with a bunch of guys, and and I learned this in the workplace and in school long before I went to prison, I always felt like an outcast because I couldn't recite sports statistics, but because I couldn't um, name all the players on a given team. People would ask me, as, as soon as they find them from New York, oh, you're a Giants fan? No, I'm not a Giants fan. Oh, you like Philadelphia? No, get out of here. I don't listen. I don't care about your sports. I don't care about your identifications. They identify themselves by their sports teams. They take on a, a an element of personality from their sports teams. It, that's idolatry. We should be seeking to conform ourselves to our God, not to our sports teams. That's 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 really true. Uh, it, w- one of the themes you were talking about was, you know, really what should a Christian do in this day and age? Well, your your number one duty serve God, and then two serve your fellow, you know, your fellow uh, white person. You know, we're supposed to be a separate people. Um, we should at least be, you know, taking care of our brother. Um, you know, because when I first got into this, I thought, well, hey, maybe I got enough, you know. You know, I don't have much money, and I don't have a ton of time, but I got a lot of willpower. I thought, well, maybe I can move the 9-11 pile just a little bit. And, you know, I've probably moved it some, but, like, am I a household name? Hell no. I mean, most people have never heard of me. Most people never will. Um, but, you know, I've made the power structure uncomfortable, and for that, you know, that was really all I was after. Um, so I moved the pile a bit in 9-11. Uh, I used to think, hey, maybe we'll be able to tear this whole thing down. But, you know, after listening to you and thinking about it, they're just really, we're not going to do it on our own, all right? The the system is going to come down, you know, I guess when it's good and ready. Right, but our job is to educate people. And 9-11 has been pretty successful in in getting people to wake up. And and it it really surprises me sometimes that it's still manages to get people to think about the Jewish issue and and um and and at least about the fact that something's wrong with society. Yeah, if you're if you're just come across this podcast and you were curious about all the Jews involved in 9/11 or at least the main players, you know, on my blog I've got an article called Summary of Jews Involved in the 9/11 Nuclear Terrorist Attack. And that goes down you know, it, I got it from uh, Wikispooks, and these are the names you're going to see if you start researching 9/11. You know, uh, Frank Lowy, uh, Larry Silverstein, uh, Louis Eisenberg, Ronald Lauder, uh, Jerome Hauer, 
you know, these, these types of people, you know, the Dove, Zachheim, uh, Michael Chertoff, Richard Pearl, Paul Wolfowitz, who went on to lead the World Bank. Um, you know, those are the people that were behind 9-11, not, you know, W. And, and Dove Zakheim was also behind the missing zillions of dollars in the Pentagon. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, to me, he's well, Satan incarnate. I mean, all Jews really, to me are Satan, but Dove Zakheim is like the epitome of Satan. <laughs> he really is. Uh, whenever I talk about Dove, uh, I get the spam that they don't really email me much anymore to debate me because they've kind of given up on that. But I just get all the spam. Um, and, like it comes in hot and heavy. So <laughs> if I ever take a, if I ever do a segment on Dove Zackheim in one of these shows, that I, I, the inbox fills up. Yeah, on September 10th of 2011, Rumsfeld had a press conference and he says, "Hey, we can't account for 2.3 trillion dollars in transactions." Um, and then on 9/11, uh, <laughs> that story got pushed back to the back page. Uh, well, well, proof that the Jews run America it is just, to me, lies in the fact that Dove Zakheim was working in the Pentagon. Yeah. I mean, how does a guy like that get in there? And um, how does he stay in there after 9-11? Like, okay, if everything was on the up and up, and this was just some sort of a, a failure, why wasn't everybody fired for right. incompetence? They all and should nobody, be fired. No, nobody was fired. They were promoted because they did what they were supposed to do. Absolutely. I never heard of one person getting fired because of 9-11. Nope. Not, not even an air traffic controller. Nobody. Uh, some of those, I, I think they were going to speak up, but then they got uh, quashed. The firemen were told, um, hey, if you pipe up about this, uh, you're going to lose your pension. So, I mean, my original, you know, motivation going public with this was well you know what's really to be gained are you really going to topple this thing and you know after a certain amount of time yeah no i'm probably not going to really do that but you know i thought the families deserved an answer hey why are my teeth falling out well it's radiation poisoning you know why is my hair falling out why do i have cancer um, do we have a lot of records of that i'm just curious uh what you can do is, a good place to go is go to the Feel Good Foundation, uh, F-E-A-L. Uh, is it John Feel? Uh, he, he's one of the survivors, and uh, he's got a list of all the people that have died from cancer. Okay. He's got like a 1,000 people right there. Um, Gordon Duff had an article oh, a year or so ago where I think the New York Post or the New York, one of them admitted that 70,000 people had applied for compensation from the 9-11 Compensation Fund. And most of that is for cancer treatment. Okay, so, that's interesting. I'll check that out. So, yeah, there, there, was, there was radiation. Like, uh, you know, there was 1,400 cars that were completely toasted on 9-11. You know, if the building just fell down, how does that happen? Well... And like with a neutron bomb, like we talked about, the neutrons escape the device, and uh, they, when neutrons, when fast high energy neutrons go through material, they cause the atoms in the material to, to move or heat up, and boom, uh, that's how you get these these toasted cars. You saw toasted cars at the Pentagon. The Pentagon was nuked too. Um, 
1,400 toasted cars in New York. Uh, Oklahoma City, there, I think there was 286 cars that were toasted. Uh, the Murrah building was nuked, too. Well, well, I never believed that was a truck bomb. I don't know what it is, but it wasn't a it, it wasn't an info bomb. That's just bullshit. <laughs> but, but the Pentagon. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, and I, I've got a picture where they they taped off the the area with radiation. You know, instead of the police the crime scene tape, it says radiation on it. And there's two hundred the for us, you know, that research this stuff. The the big giveaway for us is whenever there's an urban nuclear detonation you're going to see toasted cars that's really the the sore thumb that sticks out the, the only thing i can't ever get about oklahoma city and and i was actually when oklahoma city happened i was sitting i was consulting at the time i was i was um for a while before i went to prison i was a tech manager for a manufacturing company and left that job about a year before I went to prison, and I spent most of that year consulting for a couple of manufacturers in North Jersey, and and for my old company, which moved to Virginia. So I'm sitting in my living room, and, and I'm working on some code, I think, for a database program, and I had CNN playing behind me on a television, and I clearly remember... Um, CNN reporting two different explosions and, and some kind of um, police sergeant or something that, that was reporting these two different explosions. And by that afternoon, the whole story changed. Yeah, I've got I've got footage here uh, from again from Davon Clay's video where he, he got some local coverage, some of the local stations um, reporting on Oklahoma City. And they were talking about the uh, FBI uh, bomb squad going in there and getting two of the, the bombs that didn't detonate and, and getting them out of there. So to me, it looks like maybe three bombs went off and two didn't in the Murrah building. The, um, now, now, I wanted to bring something else up, and, and I just lost it. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so... I lost so we, we've it. Seen, was related we've seen a lot to the of, Oklahoma City thing. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, the uh, Jewish nuclear terrorism has been with us for quite a while. Um, it goes back to even the USS Liberty. Um, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of the USS Liberty. Uh, one thing I learned a couple of years ago doing some research for a JFK article was that uh, the the goal of that of that one was to you know have the Israelis sink the ship. Then they were going to blame that on the Egyptians, and then they were going to nuke Cairo. So these Jews have been using nukes against us for, you know, 50 years now. Well, I've heard the nuclear angle with the um, the Kennedy murder. Yep. And, and that that's that is competition with the currency angle. <laughs> it's the, the, the yeah, it's kind of a dual edged sword where Kennedy was. Uh, he was button heads with uh, uh, the the Jewish agenda, yeah, on both both fronts, the the Federal Reserve and thwarting the uh, uh, the, the illicit uh, Israeli nuclear weapons program. And, and a lot of people in in um, that are into conspiracy theories, right? A lot of people assert that Kennedy was a Jew, and that's simply not true. Kennedy no. was not a Jew by any means, and, and they also. Um, Blame him for being a Jew because of his 
liberal attitude, but I don't think they understand how liberal white people could get when they live in, in a privileged society away from the other races. And I grew up in, in the Northeast with my legs in two states. My mother's from Massachusetts, Southeast Mass, and my father's from, his family actually came from Germany and settled in New York City before my grandfather moved to Jersey. So, so I grew up in two liberal strongholds, and I understand how liberal Yankees can get when they're detached from the other races. I can understand why Kennedy was as liberal as he was. That doesn't mean he was a Jew. Look at Minnesota, right? I'm sure you have the same experience. Yeah, I mean, we were, you know, back in the 70s, we were a 90-plus percent white state. You know, that's no longer true. Uh, Minnesota, you can you can have, like, a Scandinavian-type state or country uh, that's liberal if you've got all white people here. Right. Um, and it works. And it works, yeah, because you should have a social safety net. But that all breaks down when you import, you, you know, other races into your mix. Uh, it, it just doesn't – it's not sustainable. But most of the liberals I've known all my life have, have these rose-colored glasses and, and think that the other races are no different than whites. They do. You know, I thought that for a long time, too, but then you, you just have to start looking at it from a more maybe scholarly type angle. Yeah, or at least from a more realistic angle. I mean, just look at what the other races create everywhere they go. <laughs> There's a reason why, you know, like Don Advo talks about that. He's like, black people don't go to Haiti for a better life. No, not at all. <laughs> They come here. Mexicans don't go to Mexico for a better life. And and how much help do the Haitians need? I mean, we've been pouring money into Haiti for for, for centuries. It'll never improve. You know, that was one thing they talked about. Hey, New York, you know, these nine eleven attacks were atrocious. Uh, like any other country would be getting international assistance for that. The United States didn't get help from anywhere, really. To, to clean up the mess and um, to rebuild. It was all those New York Jews, basically, that rebuilt it. Well, but well of course. They just it was, cranked up the printing press. Yeah, but it, it was white people that built the buildings and, right. uh, you know, that did the construction. And yeah, well, we right. had the infrastructure you, you there to do it. You never see a flood of Mexican construction workers going into any town in Mexico to rebuild after an earthquake or a hurricane or something. Yeah, if the power lines go down, you know, like there's, there's this talk of uh, Obama wants to get electricity in Africa. I'm like, well, who's going to run the power grid? Right. You, know, you, you can't have subsidy. I mean, it would be one thing, hey, if we, we could go there and build it, but they wouldn't be able to maintain it. If they were really intelligent and and as capable as white people, they would have electricity. We had it 150 years ago. We publish in our encyclopedias how to make that stuff without charging them for it. They could just take the encyclopedias and rebuild that stuff. Well, why don't they do that? If, if they were really capable and intelligent, they're sitting on some of the largest metal deposits in the world. Why can't they take some of that metal out of the ground and make their copper wire and build a power plant? 
yeah, they, they can't do it now. Like Asians, they can take our stuff and run with it. You know, they they can build a, uh, they can produce cars, they can build factories. You know, maybe they needed our blueprints to get it going, but you know, they well, can well, maintain yes, they it. Did. But yeah, they, yes, they did. Not, they needed our technology to get it going, but yes, they can maintain it to a degree. They could maintain and perpetuate it pretty well. But if these Negroes or blacks or Africans, as we like to call them on my forum, if these Africans had every had equal capability with white people, you'd think they'd have electricity. Why yeah, it, it, it's it's not there, and it's never going to be there. Um, they they come in, they you know, like when they come into your city, like. I think the Jews know that we've got this social safety net, and they use that against us. And so they you know they get these illegals in here, the Mexicans and the Africans. Right. Hey, let's get them on welfare. They're not even supposed to be in the country, but they're getting full benefits. Right, and, of course. The Jews use it as a weapon, right? Yeah. They've been doing it and, since the 60s, probably, or even the 50s. You know, one of my thoughts was, you hear this, well, we want reparations for slavery. I'm like, well, hey, as a white guy, you know, our population is dwindling. I want reparations from you for all the money we've had to spend to incarcerate you, all the all the billions of dollars in food stamps and um, the every white woman that's been raped. There's thirty thousand of them a year. I want a certain amount of money for that. Right, but and, Negroes can't reason at that level. They just don't have it. I've had Negroes who who insist that there was a higher black culture in Africa at one time and, and I asked them why during the colonial period when whites encountered them they didn't have that culture and and in reference to the alphabet even and he said that's because you stole it from us yeah How- I, I've heard that meme and uh, I, I was on Twitter a couple of minutes before the show and somebody posted a tweet there where this uh, black lady saying that Europe used to have a, a black ruling class they believe that. They're so stupid. They believe all of that. They believe that, that they don't understand that you cannot steal an alphabet. Yeah, okay. Yeah, even if we even if we learned your language, we didn't take it from you. You'd still have it if you had it. Right. They don't get that. They 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 they, they can't think in abstract terms and, and they don't understand a lot of pretty simple basic concepts. So they could believe all these lies about a, a a glorious African past. They believe them all. They accept it all because it 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 um it gives them a sense of identity. They don't deserve it, but it gives them a sense of identity that they otherwise don't have. Yeah, that that's probably a good way to look at it. Um, I, I guess maybe from a, a biblical perspective, you could look at this as the battle of Gog and Magog. Well, well, right. I mean, this is the camp of the saints. The the, the Jews have have rallied all the world's nations against the white race, and and that's exactly what's going on here. And and it's it's the Jews that invented the black Hebrew movement, that the Jews enabled Haile Selassie, and the Jews enabled Louis Farrakhan, and, and yeah, you know when white when when white nationalists get up, 
and and want to hold a rally or a speech, the the Jews go and shout it all down, and and they they have a lot better funding. They have the the whole college antifa network. But when Louis Farrakhan, Lightning Louis, I like to call him, or I'm sorry, Calypso Louis, that he was Louis Farrakhan's career started as a New Orleans comedian and he went by the name Calypso Louie and when he gets up and gives a speech he gets all the major networks his million man march in Washington back in the 90s all the major networks now this guy's a hater every bit as any white nationalist but he gets all the major networks intently focused on what he has to say and the whole speech goes off peaceful there's no counter demonstrations there's no police arrest there's no hate accusations and, there's no bust in no bust in opposition right it's all a jewish dog and pony show but when a white speaker wants to get up and speak for white interests, he's shouted down that there's the Antifa throwing rocks and, and, and Molotov cocktails or whatever else they get their hands on. The cops let the leftists do what they want. I've seen this in Canada when they, um, Paul Fromm, when they destroyed his house and the cops were just standing there watching the Antifa destroy his house. It, it's incredible. Well, so, so, we're under we're under attack, and there's no question about that. And, right, but if yeah. uh, I don't know what it's going to take, nine eleven was a big um, awakened a lot of whites to Jewish treachery. But I don't know what it's going to take to wake the rest of them up. It, it's people just like to hear it when somebody has a you know the wherewithal to give their account as to how they came to to what we consider to be the truth. Yeah, for me, it was just getting attacked viciously by these guys. Um, you really find out, you know, one thing I've maintained over the years is that nobody hates 9-11 truth more than the 9-11 truth movement. 9-11 truth is that it was a Jewish nuclear terrorist attack. Now, when you come out publicly and say that, you watch who comes out. If you Anybody out there, try this at home. Go post somewhere on a blog or, you know, a, a story somewhere. Watch how you get attacked. Um, and look who's going to attack you. Almost every big name in 9-11 research has come after me and with a vengeance. Uh, Steve Jones, Christopher Boleyn, Judy Wood, Andrew Johnson. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mark Bilk. Uh, all these guys just attack, attack, attack. And it's all the same methods, and I, I've even got a, a blog post on there from a couple, three years ago called Judy Wood's Script, and it's these guys all work off a script written by the ADL, and uh, they, they come at you with, it's the same stuff over and over and over again. Each group has a slightly different script. Uh, the nanothermite guys have one script, uh, the directed energy weapon people have another one. Then the, the September Clues guys, where the nobody died on 9-11, they have a different script. But it, you can tell it's like all the same Jewish you know, crap. September Clues, nobody died. I don't even want to go there. That, that, <laughs> isn't that guy a Jew anyway? <laughs> if he's not, he might as well be. Uh, I think we looked at his dad. I don't think his dad was Jewish, but he was certainly it's Shaq's dad was connected with the intelligence outfit in one way or another. We, we wrote a story on that a couple of years ago. Um, Simon Shaq. Yeah, that's, that's on my blog as well. That was on veterans today. We got quite a, 
quite a response out of that. So when the when the Judy Wood people, yeah, just to sum up the Judy Wood thing, here's where it, where it hit home. Uh, I think was it September of 2013. Jim Fetzer and I had an article called "Israel Nuked the World Trade Center uh, on 9/11," and <laughs> within hours of that coming out, we got an email, and it was written in Judy Wood style. We, I mean. I've gone back and forth with Judy so many times. Like she knows how I write, I know how she writes, and she spoofed Fetzer's wife's name on the emails, and she carbon copied um, the ADL, the SPLC, the San Diego Jewish Journal on all these emails. So, <laughs> if the, if you need any more of a clue than that, folks, who who she's working for. Uh, you know that that really says it all, as far as I'm concerned. So you you just can't deny who she's associated with. Oh yeah, but I don't think there's any question that she's a Jew herself. So it's <laughs> the the Jews. And, I said it in my introduction. They love to create rabbit holes and, and get people chasing down these rabbit holes because it redirect so many people from finding the truth they it, it's yeah you know like I, I i um i've used this meme in another context when the old cowboy movies the the bandits would raise a cloud of smoke and disappear behind the smoke screen that's what the jews love to do all over the internet they do i mean there's a there's a lot of resources uh put into this uh managing of the internet um, I mean, you can see why they want to lock it down because they're having a tough time keeping up. I mean, sites like the Daily Stormer, you know, the comments on there. I mean, uh, what was it? Discussed dropped, <laughs> dropped England because it was the comments section was just the Wild West. And uh, you know, if I ever need a good belly laugh or motivation, I usually check in over there and, and read some of the comments. Those guys come up with some very entertaining memes. Yeah, they do. They do. I think a lot of them are Jewish trolls, but they do. <laughs> well, there's no question you're going to get a few of them in there. You, you kind of have to look for a pattern. Uh, there was one on there where the, you know, she kept pushing this pagan crap. And, uh, yeah, she turned out to be a troll if it was really a woman doing the posting. Well, well, when he posted the Protocols of Satan series that I did, I, I, I had a lot of trolls on there knocking me and knocking my work. That, that you know, if you're a white nationalist, and, and this is my opinion, but if you're a white nationalist and, and you claim to be pro-white and, and awaken to Jewish treachery, you may not like me because I'm a Christian, but I'm the last guy you should attack. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, see, that's my thing. I don't want to attack other white people unless I really, really have to. You know, at this stage of the game. Yeah, right. Uh, when so they're, I, when they're disinforming people and some stuff like that, it's a different story. But everything we're about at at Christogenier and and in Christian identity in general, it is pro-white and, and anti-antichrist, anti-Jewish. So yeah. so. What's their problem with that? <laughs> what? What do they have a qualm about that? And, and we, we we despise the other races and and want to separate from them. What's their problem with that? That was my whole um, my answer to Kyle Hunt was enveloped inside of my One Thessalonians Part Three, I think, presentation. That was the whole point that I tried to make. 
if yeah, if Kyle if, if Kyle was on the up and up, the you know, maybe, okay, well, maybe you're not a Christian, but why are you attacking us? Uh, right. That's what the Jews do. I mean, the right. Jews have spent thousands of years attacking Christians. And, and that's my point. He he should at the, at the at the most he should just ignore us, which he did for years. I don't know why he's suddenly attacking us, but I'm not gonna sit and and, and um, pout in the corner about it. I'm gonna hand it to. Well, him. You, you must have drawn the, the attention of somebody somewhere. I mean, I know that they've had meetings about me over at the ADL. I mean, I, I can tell because like the strategy will change, or they take a different angle, or they start looking up where I work or my brother works, or you know, stuff like that. I mean, you can tell that there's probably memos floating around, if not a full-fledged meeting somewhere, about how to deal with this guy. Yeah, I mean, like, I have a lot of regular trolls, don't get me wrong. This entire YouTube channel is devoted to um, trying to discredit me. But <laughs> Queenie Cameron and... Yeah, I yeah, I, I was like, okay, that was another thing I did. I, okay, well, Phil Fink is, is BS. What do his detractors say? <laughs> your detractors only strengthen your credibility, Bill. I, I listened well, to Queenie to Cameron for about... She was trying to pawn you off as a rabbi, and uh, well, this is Talmud. And then it, it, it's the examples she was using were just real, real poor. I was like, "Come on, you, you should be able to do better than this," you know. Well, well, that's encouraging. Thank you. So, I mean, I can smell. I mean, there's there's some YouTube clips of me. If you want, there's people out there that try to debunk me. There's one Judy Wood fan out there. I think if you just go to YouTube and punch in, I think. Don Fox, 9-11 nukes. He'll be one of the first ones you'll see. And, uh, you know, I forget the guy's name. He's got some wacko handle or whatever, but he's this huge Judy Wood fan. And he just drove, <laughs> it's like 25 minutes of just crocodile tears about how bad me and Jim Fetzer are. So I was having a couple of beers one night and I, I was laughing so hard. I had to quit. I had to quit playing it. Cause I was, I was, uh, I was starting to cry. I was laughing so hard at it. Well, I'm like, well, if that's the best they got to counter me, I'm, you know, I've, I got nothing to worry about. Yeah, I mean, that's that they have to use um, lies, subterfuge, misrepresent things you say. Uh, I mean, if they want to attack me based on actual mistakes I made. I would love to correct my mistakes because I know I make some, and 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 I would thank them for it. What the hell? Yeah, you know, and Jim Fetzer says that too. Hey, none of us here are infallible. You know, if right. we've made a mistake, you know, we're more than willing to go back and correct it. You know, it's just the attacks I get. None of that is ever, you know, fact based or you know, research or any of that. It's always, you know, you're just crazy or you know, this could never happen. Blah 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 blah. Or it, it's irrelevant. All the stuff they bring up. There's no substance to any of the criticism. You know, I, I got an email from a. I mean, what really sold, you know, for me a few years ago, I got an email from a former Department of Energy nuclear physicist, and she said, look, Don, the, the, the surest sign of nukes on 9-11 is particle size, and the smallest particles would have been more than a mile away. And um, even the UC Berkeley uh, study, that's, that's going to be my next 9-11 article will be on the, on the, part, on the material that UC Berkeley uh, analyzed. And, and what's the conclusion of that? Uh, very, 
there was the, the particles are so small. The only thing that really could have produced particles that small is extremely high temperatures that you're going to find in a, a thermonuclear detonation. Okay. I hope it's basic. Yeah. It's, it, you know, there's, there's kind of a difference. It's, there's vaporization and, Beyond that, if things get so hot, there's molecular dissociation, and that's what we saw at, at ground zero, is molecular dissociation. Well, well, to me, the important part of understanding the World Trade Center is that the planes, even if planes existed, they didn't take that building down. No, that's... no. And you know, Jim has worked with uh, pilots for 9-11 Truth, and I, I think the plane that was supposed to hit Flight 175 was actually in the air over... Uh, Pittsburgh and Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and the one that was supposed to crash in uh, Shanksville was over Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Two of the planes weren't scheduled to fly that day, and the other two were still in service until 2005. Yeah, I do have a video somewhere on Christagenia or the Shanksville, the, the Pennsylvania yeah. Flight 103 or whatever. It, it, I just laughed my ass off when I first yep. saw that news report and that little hole in the ground and, and that them no claiming that no the whole plane went into that little hole in the ground. It was like 10 feet across. I mean, come on. Yeah, like, like Spencer on. said, you know, okay, if that was true, then why didn't we have the equipment out, you know, the heavy equipment, the bright lights? Why weren't they digging trying to find a survivor? Yeah, right. You know, there was none of that. There was no wreckage. There was no effort to find any wreckage. The coroner went out there, and he said after 15 minutes he ceased being a coroner because there wasn't one drop of blood. Yeah, yeah, the whole the Pennsylvania thing. I mean, the Pentagon. It's very clear there was no plane. That the 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 wings should have been laying up against the building outside of the hole. Anybody with any common sense could understand that. But yeah. the, the the Pennsylvania thing. Now, I don't want to even argue the World Trade Center or not. I, I mean, I've seen the pictures and and, and all the, the, the moving images, the, the video that supposedly comes from the, the newsreels. I don't know if it does or not. But the Pentagon and Pennsylvania, there were no planes there. There's no doubt. I mean, you don't get a plane with a 200-foot wingspan or a 120-foot wingspan inside of a 10-foot hole at any speed. No. At any I don't care well, if it was going a million miles an hour. Yeah, and if, okay, even if, say, a plane hit, um, you know, somebody sent Fetzer pictures of, you know, all the smoke you saw there at the Pentagon. Yeah. What they did was, this was, that was literally a dumpster fire. They had dumpsters lined up next to the building full of junk that they lit on fire. That's where all that smoke was coming from. The we got pictures of that somewhere. With, with that is that the Jews are so in your face that they're so yeah. blatant about it that nobody believes that they would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Jamie McIntyre. Like if you listen to Fetzer's show now on uh, Media Broadcast Center, or you know, go to Gary King's YouTube channel, or you know, it, the show opens every week with you can hear uh, Jamie McIntyre. He's like, I don't. There's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. You know, every show they play that sound bite. Well, and, television uh, is powerful. And, and I have a, a, a guy that I was in prison with. And he didn't go to prison until a couple of years after 9-11. He only had like a two-year bid for marijuana or something. 
and he was from the Washington area, and he swears, he was mad at me, he swore that he was in the Beltway traffic when the plane hit the Pentagon, and he swore, and this is just an average guy that, that worked an average job for a living as a day laborer, he swore that he saw the plane that hit the Pentagon fly over the Beltway. He swore it. There, he, okay, there, okay, there was a plane, all right? There was a C-130, but it flew over the building. Okay. And we, we think it might have dropped some wreckage on the way back out. But it never hit anything. It never got low enough to, you know, it, it, it went way over the Pentagon. Well, I didn't know that, but this guy was livid at me when, when I'm telling him that no plane hit the Pentagon, that it couldn't have been a plane. And, and he was livid about the fact that he saw a plane that he says did hit the Pentagon. He didn't say he saw it hit the, hit the Pentagon, but he saw the plane that hit the Pentagon. And that was his story, and he stuck to it. Yes, there was a plane that flew over the Pentagon, yeah, but it did not hit the building. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, we're over two hours. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like to stay and talk to you more about Jews and Christian identity and, and for, for another two, but it just won't work for Internet radio. No. You know, I was going to say, maybe we could come back and do a show on, you know, one, one thing I'm fascinated on is your Revelation series. Maybe uh, talk end times a little bit yeah i'm willing to do that maybe on on, on your nickel if, if you want you could do it here but we could do it on um what whatever venue you are are custom accustomed to using maybe the crass files or something sure sure yeah you know just get it out there and okay yeah i, I think it'd be perfect for uh you know i also have a show with uh, gary king so we we could we could do it and put it out on there yeah maybe we could um I think there would be prerequisites of a rundown on um, the Eurocentricity of Daniel and the Revelation. That's important. And Jewish identity, to, to exclude them. That's important. It, it's, wow, there's so many prerequisites to understanding Christian yeah. identity. Uh, yeah, when somebody starts with the podcast on my front page, I know they're going to be lost. But that's—I'm not doing this for beginners. When I do my, my my Friday night Bible study, it's not for beginners. See, I, I just took it with. See, I I had the research background, so I just said, okay, I'm going to just suck it up and dive in. And uh, see, I, I wasn't going to listen to anybody that didn't do the same level of research I did. And that's why I'm a fan of your stuff. Because you you function on that same level we do, so I, I mean I can't take these jokers seriously that, um, you know don't do any homework and you know they spout the generic Judeo Christian crap. I just I can't deal with it. Well, well, I appreciate it. I, I mean I, I really do read um, Coin Greek. In spite of what my detractors say, like he doesn't know Greek. I, I saw yeah, that blurb too, and, and I'm like, okay, and, he must have pissed them off if they're going there. And, and um, I, I really have read all of the historical sources that I cite, or I wouldn't cite them. I, I'm not an index researcher. I despise index researchers. That they'll grab a book, look at the index, get the part they want, and, and think that they definitively know what the writer wrote on that particular subject. And, and the truth could be just the opposite. So you have to read the whole book. 
Sure. Okay. Well, we probably run over time here. Um, you can cut this off, I guess, whenever you have to. Um, yeah, we'll end it here. And and thank you for having for for, for being with us today, Don. And and um, I'll play this, and I'll I'll get some flack about the nuke issue and and some of the other issues. But that that's okay. That's I, I expect that. But it, yeah, I was gonna say, you know, I'm used to getting flack over 9/11 nukes. Okay, that that's my bit. So <laughs> just send them my way. And uh, well, well, right. I, guess... I mean, it, it's. I think it was definitely worthwhile to hear you. No, no matter what that they think, it it was worthwhile to hear you. And, and that's what's that's what matters. Nobody likes the 9/11 nuke theory. Okay, <laughs> especially those those of us that purport it. You know. But nobody wants to hear that. So I, I get the resistance. So I, I'm not mad at people for it. It's just, you know, if you're going right. to attack me, you but, have to you have to do your homework and, and uh, be prepared to defend your position, I guess, is, is all I would say. I don't think there are too many um, Judy Wood fans among my listeners, and most of them would at least agree that some sort of powerful explosive was used to bring that building down. None of them. I, I mean... Even the ones that 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 um, believe that there were planes there, and I'm not even making up my mind as because I don't care, right? Even the people that believe that the planes hit the building, almost every one of them that I've heard, also believe that something else was required to take the buildings down. That it was some sort of explosive and not the planes, right? So, so it's yeah. really two separate issues. It really is. And, and to me, the plane issue doesn't matter. There were some kind of um, powerful explosives arranged through that building to bring it down. Yeah, yeah. and I, I don't even spend much time on the planes because we know no commercial plane crashed anywhere. And we know the planes couldn't have brought the building down. Fake planes couldn't have brought the building down and real planes couldn't have done it. Right, so, right. And, and most of my people, I'm sure most of the people that listen to my work, first, they're not going to gauge the rest of my work on this program, but but I don't think they're going to, uh, they might say, Bill, you screwed up or whatever they think, I don't care, but I, I don't think that, that they would, um, I, I'm pretty sure that none of them think the planes took the buildings down, and, and anybody that believes that may as well just um, believe that George Bush didn't know anything about it ahead of time. <laughs> it, it, that's you know if you think the planes had it really anything to do with the collapse of the buildings that's that's kind of a fisher price level of, of analysis uh, right right you know you need you need to up your game a little bit i guess is what i would say there right that they'll for, for, i'm sure they'll all agree that there was some kind of explosive used i don't know if they'll all want to go into the nuke thing but that that's okay it's it's good to hear what you had to say, whether they accept it or not. So it, it's worthwhile to hear and hear you out. And I hope well, that some of them do research it further. Well, it, it, thanks for having me. Uh, not everybody <laughs> will have me on their show. Let me rest assured of that. You know, I've been on a few big name shows, you know, uh, but they don't typically have me back on. You know, if they have me on once, that will be it. Yeah, well, I don't think Christiania is a big-name place, but that's okay. No, I, I, I was on with uh, uh, Caravan to Midnight. I was on there once, and uh, I, I'm guaranteed you won't hear me on there again. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not even familiar with him. But oh, it's John B. Wells. He used to be a uh, substitute host on Coast to Coast AM, or I think he had the Saturday show for a while. And he's got a pretty big following. So I was on that show, and I some of my stuff was on Stu Webb's. I actually had 134,000 listeners at one point last year for one of the shows, which, which yeah, is not bad for the old a- Sunday show. According to the Alexa ranking, Caravan to Midnight is not too much more popular than Christagenia, so <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it. Okay. Well, it was, I mean, if, well, for, for an Iron 11 nuke guy, that's about as big of a platform as you're going to get. You know, you're yeah. not going to be on. Uh, Red Ice won't not, have you. Have you tried Red Ice Creations? They won't have me. Uh, you know, I know somebody that's on that quite a bit, and I think they've mentioned me. I don't, I've never been on there. I might try to get on there sometime. Yeah, because that's, that's a big website. I mean, they're just about as big as the Stormer. And it's a pretty much, I mean, I'm sure the crowd overlaps to a great degree, but Red Ice is, is pretty different. It's a pretty different audience from what I see about the material that they put out. Yeah, I, I listen to some of those shows. Yeah, I don't listen to all of them, but I do listen to some of them. Okay. All right. We'll, um, we'll end it with this, and thank you for being here, Donald, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Bill. Praise Yahweh.